I think there's massive opportunity, and especially in an environment where it's going to be harder to get new customers, focus on existing customers and clearly understanding what are the specific actions or products or capabilities that they use that drive stickiness and retention. We basically have programs across marketing, our CS, our sales organization, our product together to figure out how do we unify that. Hello and welcome to Good Data, Better Marketing, the ultimate guide to driving customer engagement. Today's episode features an interview with Chris Kohler, Chief Marketing Officer at Box. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Twilio Segment. Looking for clean, reliable data you can trust? Segment collects, cleans, and allows you to activate your data in real time across hundreds of applications and channels. Learn about how Segment can help you personalize customer experiences by visiting segment.com. Macroeconomic headwinds have hit tech hard over the past few months. While companies look to cut costs, the need to maintain personalized and engaging customer experiences remains high. Marketers are now looking to simplify their tools and tech stacks while getting the most value out of their existing investments. CMOs like Chris Kohler are rethinking their strategies to expand the meaning of revenue marketing and own metrics on the success side of the funnel. This means driving customer attention by building product awareness and automating customer journeys through their CDPs to remove buyer friction. I sit down with Chris to discuss cost-effective plays and processes and why a test-and-learn culture is critical to navigate through changing tides. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Good Data, Better Marketing, the podcast where we speak with influential marketers and digital innovators and learn their tricks of the trade. They help us understand exactly what good data is and share stories about how they've created digital-first customer experiences that stick. I'm your host, Kaylee Raymond, and I lead enterprise marketing here at Twilio Segment. And with me today to kick off season two of our show in a very special live session, I have Chris Kohler, the CMO of Box. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here, Chris. Thank you, Kelly, for having me. And uh, no pressure being the first guest in uh, the kickoffs of season two. So very excited to be here. Truly, yeah. The, the answers better be spicy today, Chris. The bar is raised. Got it. The bar has been raised. I wanted to just start off to get to know you and your career journey a little bit more deeply. Prior to CMO at Box, you were leading global VP of customer success, leading all of the global customer success teams, including renewals. And and before that, you spent 20 years in a host of different functions, product marketing, customer success, solution consulting, demand generation, enablement, companies like Adobe and E-Trade and SunTrust Bank. So I'm super excited to dive in and kind of learn how all those cross-functional experiences have helped you in your role and understanding of driving customer engagement. But before we dive into that, I wanted to go back just a little bit further. Chris, what was your first job? Oh, I think my first job was actually a busboy in a restaurant. You know, I think I was probably 14 or 15 years old and I actually had a friend whose parents owned a, a really nice restaurant and they did a lot of weddings. And so, you know, always needed people to help. And man, that's a tough job and actually high stress because <laughs> you're carrying heavy, heavy, you know, plates, of, you know, both delivering the food and removing all the plates and stuff from, from this event. And it happened so quickly because they had to change courses. And so, yeah, lots of, lots of stress early in, in life. So, but I think it was a good lesson that my parents, you know, taught me. 
I love that. Yeah, the parents teaching you the lessons of some of those really hard jobs. I was in the restaurant industry once upon a time. My first couple of jobs, I washed dishes and I was like the server and hostess. I was pretty much the only employee of this very small Italian slash Polish restaurant. They did pierogies once a week. It was a it was a big hit in my town. Nothing will teach you customer service quite like a restaurant job. You well, know? I mean, yeah, it, it it teaches you a ton. And then and then I think the actual the one that sort of set me straight, I would say maybe is, you know, there was one summer where maybe my grades weren't as good as they should have been. And maybe I wasn't as focused on school. And and I remember our parents said, Hey, you're gonna get a landscaping job for the summer. And I literally lasted two weeks. It was the hardest work I've ever done. <laughs> It was hot. It was humid. I was like, all right, I need to study harder because I'm going to school. I'm going to do well and basically change the trajectory of my life. So that was probably like one of the biggest life lessons my parents taught me was, hey, you know, if you don't pay attention, you don't do well in school. There's a tough life out there. And it's a heck of a lot harder than what we do for a living, for sure. That is a that's a parenting hack that I think is just age old. My my parents did the exact same thing to my brother and I. We were like painting the house or power washing or mulching. There was something and it was always the summer. It was always so hot outside. And yeah, I learned that lesson pretty quickly as well, but maybe it's something that I want to do with my future kids one day is the lessons of of those jobs will, will you know, will bring you far in your life. Right. So, busboy and now CMO. For we know that from a high level, you know, you've had a lot of experiences across the board and a lot of different roles. But in your own words, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, it's a it's a nonlinear sort of career path, but always sort of focused around marketing. I think general a general life philosophy for me and sort of our family is generalist, right? Being a polymath, really understanding and, and making connections across lots of different disciplines to sort of think differently about the role. And I've been, it, it, I've been very lucky enough, you know, quite frankly, to be given opportunities, you know, as you sort of mentioned at the kickoff of, I've run product, I've run demand teams, I've been a marketer of one, I've been in the sales organization, I've run renewals, I've run customer success. Like it gives you a very, very different sort of perspective you know, both from a customer lens and from a what's the value proposition of you know whatever business you're you're part of, and it gives you a lot of empathy both for the customers and the teams that you work with day in and day out. So I think it's a unique journey, but one that I think has made me a better marketer. You know, over the last twenty years, I love to hear from a generalist because I think it's a more common career than we think. And if you look at somebody's LinkedIn profile. You might think like, what's going on here? But really there's a through line, you know, like and the through line for you is you care deeply about customers. You're kind of seeing, you know, how to engage with them and all of these different roles. And I'm betting you're a really good collaborator and cross-functional stakeholder because you've been in their shoes before and you know what it's like to actually have to deal with renewing a contract at the end of the year and you know what those product adoption metrics do to a lot of that. I was in sales for the first half of my career and that has taught me invaluable lessons about marketing. And I think that that's probably if you can ever cross learn and you really put yourself in the shoes of a lot of the people on your team, it's going to build as to your point a whole lot more empathy. Oh, I mean, yeah, 100 100%. I mean the the fact 
being in sales is incredibly difficult, right? The scoreboard is very clear of how you're doing as a leader, as an individual salesperson. Uh, same thing with CS, right? I mean, you have a customer and, and you have some product issue and you're getting yelled at because it's impacting their business and costing them revenue, right? Or you've got to go in and pitch the value of why we should keep you know, your, your set product. And you know, so clearly understanding the value proposition and how to position and messaging, like they have to do that every day in front of a customer. You know, as marketers, we have to do that once. We set it, we tweak it, and then we say, hey, go out in front of customers. So yeah, a lot of collaboration with our partners, a lot of message testing with them, what's working, what's not, how do we need to tweak it? And that collaboration is critically important. And I think, you know, like you said, you look at someone's LinkedIn profile and sometimes it's the head scratcher of like, how did you, like what, like what? And the number one question I always get is like, how do you go from like, running customer success to being CMO, it is not natural, um, is maybe the first thing that I get, you know, from a lot of folks. But when my 10 plus years at Adobe, I was in a lot of customer facing roles working with marketers, right? I said, I've been a marketer of one at a startup. My degree is in marketing, an MBA with a concentration of marketing. So marketing was always sort of my passion and love. It just wasn't, I was necessarily a practitioner every day as part of that. And uh, it was quite quite fun to sort of raise my hand saying, hey, I want to get and in, in run the CMO board here, that box. But all the stuff that I said as a on the vendor side around being data-driven and the, and the balance of art and science, and it should just all work seamlessly together. Yeah, it's a little harder in practice than it is <laughs> you know, when you talk about it more abstractly on the vendor side, for sure. Yeah, abstract is a whole lot easier than execution. That's for damn sure. So, you know, we've established you've been in a lot of different roles and in tech companies for the better part of 20 years. I'm sure you've seen a ton of fads. And I'm also sure you've seen probably some trends that actually took off. So would love to hear from you. What are a couple of industry trends that you're currently seeing and following as it relates to customer engagement? I mean, I I think the one that every marketer you know is thinking about is just the privacy laws third-party deprecation you know more and more how do you get to first-party data how do you engage with customers with content that they want to actually consume uh, versus unsubscribe (laughs) as part of that so i think a big one you know is is what as more and more countries as more and more states are continuing to adopt and create complexity um, in all of the privacy compliance laws, how do we shift and adapt to that, right? And what are the new mediums we have to think about as marketers where, you know, in the past it was, okay, I have a channel or a couple of channels. Now I've got lots of channels. What about the end product experience? Is that a product driven or is that a marketing driven or is it a combination of the both, right? So you start to think about what are all these new engagement ways to work with prospects and customers. And so I think, you know, being up, trying to understand the privacy third party, I think that's a big one. And then the other one, you know, I think we've been forced into, you know, forever in person was was just a go-to how you build relationships. And then COVID hit and then everything flipped to digital. And then so we had this over-reliance on digital events, digital tools, you know, digital, digital, it's cheap, yeah. it's easier, you can scale. Well, and, and then there became the word digital fatigue, you know, I want to, you know, video <laughs> fatigue and all that. So then people are like, okay, enough. I don't need more digital interactions. I want in-person back. And so we got into last year and people started getting back into these in-person engagements. 
And then another, you know, another opportunity, I would say, gets thrown our way around, you know, a global sort of economic potential crisis around all of this where budgets are getting tighter and people are going to be traveling less and all that. So then you're getting back to, well, in-person started to come back. Now budgets are tightening. Digital is kind of, you know, our next method around engaging with them. So I think it's an interesting balance between, right, how do we engage with our customers and prospects in both ways that that is the most cost effective and most engaging way, I think is that is a really challenge that I think all of us are dealing with over the next, you know, probably year, sadly, until hopefully things start to get economically a little better on the globe. And again, that's hopefully it's faster, but who knows at this point. That's a fascinating point, right? Is like the the channels and the costs and being able to find the ROI quickly and, and kind of prove that value. You're right. The desire for in-person is definitely back. And I think the days of meeting your goals simply with a webinar and a virtual event strategies are probably over. Like, I don't know if you've tried to host a roundtable recently, but like, people don't really want to attend those anymore. You know, you have to be more interesting and more innovative. And one of the things that I think is happening too is the inverse, which is in-field at those events, people are bringing a whole lot more digital touch points to those experiences to be able to collect a lot of those that data and then personalize experience on site at the event. And then of course, post-event, feeding that into yes. their CDP or other interactions to make sure you have, you know, that customer engagement and customer journey. And you're right at the top, you talked about kind of first party data and cookie lists. We talk about that as you might imagine, all the time on this show, how companies are shifting to a first-party approach. Frankly, that's allowing a lot of people to improve a lot of their personalized experiences with higher quality data. And I know we've been saying this for years, but are we finally, is it one year away now? 2024, is that the year that we finally go cookie list? Is it, what, do you have any predictions around that? It'll be longer. It's so disruptive to the, you know, to the model. This is a year, obviously, where people don't want to drive a little lot of disruption as there's so much uncertainty. My sense is that in this economic environment, you will do whatever you can for revenue preservation. And so if this becomes, you know, an unknown, another unknown as part of what's going on, my sense is it probably longer. And I hope I'm I hope I'm right, but we're preparing for, you know, that it's gonna happen. <laughs> so I think it. you have to be prepared and you hope that you're ready for whenever it does. But my sense is it, it likely could be longer because We've been saying this for how many years now? Two, three, four? I don't know. (laughs) Truly, Cookie Apocalypse has been um, longer than I would have expected. So you touched on first party. You touched on kind of the tension between digital and in-person events. Any other industry trends that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, I mean, I think think there's a... And again, I think this applies across the board is that people are trying to simplify both their technical architecture and um, their security posture as businesses. And we're seeing this with our own customer base. But what we're finding is more and more people aren't saying, hey, I've got to add more tools, more solutions, more... I got to figure out how to simplify this architecture. I've got to figure out how to make this more secure because sadly, all the bad actors and everything that's going on isn't any... It isn't getting any better. It just seems like it continues to get worse. So I think that coupled with this notion of, am I getting the most value out of the existing investments I have? And we hear that a lot from our customers, you know, making sure that I'm using every possible capability. And so I think as marketers, you know, one of the big pushes for us next year is really driving product awareness and capabilities of awareness with our existing customers. 
as we go and we develop these new capabilities, new features, we include it in their subscription and their plans. We assume that we launch it and they know, and that's just not true. And and this isn't a box problem. This is a you know a, a problem across the board. Is you know you have to remind your customers over and over again what they have at their disposal. But I don't think traditionally marketers have thought of that as like their responsibility. And so that's a big piece of how do we make sure not just company awareness, brand awareness, product awareness for prospects, like for existing customers that already have it, you know, that I think that's a precursor, obviously, to adoption and getting more value out of the solution. I'm so glad you're calling that out because I do think the shift from like to revenue marketing has really had us focused obviously on pipeline. That's kind of, you know, table stakes, of course, but adoption is a whole other thing for us to be able to make sure that stickiness is there and that we're retaining customers. I also love the way that you started out. You're talking about that idea of simplicity and so of, of companies getting a lot of value from their yeah. tech investments and really calculating kind of that ROI. Something related to that idea too is that, you know, all of these tech solutions are getting more robust. They're adding a lot more features, a lot more capabilities. And so the need for so many of these different point solutions is kind of going away in some ways. And so in our space, we look at CDPs and we look at marketing automation. And those two things are converging right now. Yeah. You know, companies are consolidating their tech stacks to simplify and really getting value out of those investments and making sure that their CDPs can also help automate a lot of their marketing and really making sure that they have a data first foundation. And you've already talked about, you know, this a little bit in some of the macro trends that you've kind of been hinting at and talking about, but it's no secret, tech has been impacted a lot over the past six months or a year. As a fellow marketer, I can say that a lot of the channels have changed and some of the tried and true tactics are already starting to feel not as tried and true, shall we say. So as a leader in tech in 2023, what's different? How is this economic climate changing your strategies and tactics? Yeah, we, we've been, I don't know if I would say we were lucky enough, but we were on a journey that we had to drive profitable growth based on some external shareholders and others that pushed us quite hard over the last couple of years. And so I think this notion of growth at all costs, don't worry about profitability, that'll come. You got to drive revenue, you got to drive scale, like let's go spend a lot of money to go acquire net new customers, all that. I think those days, there, there will still be some. Right. But what you're seeing is a is the market pivot and, and you know, Wall Street and others saying now we're going to be focused in giving rewarding those companies that are profitable, not just growing at a high rate. And so it, it's going to push all of marketers to be much more ROI driven around everything that they, they do. Right. As I talk to many of my peers, you know, the number one question over the last you know, the last probably 60 days or so is, okay, I'm not necessarily getting an uh, increase in marketing budget uh, next year, or I'm probably going to have to cut, you know, marketing expense. What did you guys do? You know, how did you focus on this? And, and you know, we, we basically took a step back and we had to reevaluate everything that we did. Let's be ROI driven. Let's test and learn. Mm -hmm. Let's take those things that we've always been doing that we felt were sacred and really question them. Are we sure we need to do this? I talked about this with a, a marketing team yesterday where we allowed the team permission to say, raise their hand saying, hey, the thing that I'm working on, it probably may not be as valuable as that over there, 
are you okay if we consider you know, not doing this and focusing our attention on something else? And we had to make sure we celebrated that and rewarded those people that were willing to do it because we couldn't do everything. We had to figure out a way to get more efficient as part of that. So I think you're going to see more and more of this where you know tactics that were nice to have, spend that you did that didn't drive you know, ROI. And I mean, ROI could be pipeline. It could be customer engagement. It could be driving renewals and retention, but ultimately there has to be a value with that spend um, as part of it. So I think that's going to be a big train. Marketers are going to have to figure out what am I spending every dollar on? And is it getting the most out of that dollar or pound or euro or yen or wherever you are around the globe? Laser focus on priorities and business outcome, frankly, and making sure that Every single activity that you're performing can have a lot of those metrics associated with it. I love it. It's like what you said at the top is growth at all costs is over. That was literally the theme of this event last quarter for us. I'm like, yes, we're we're on the nose way to go. But what you're also saying is reminding me of an anecdote that's actually in a report that we just launched like a week ago. And a lot of the data that's being collected is being collected at record volumes. Like we're, we're collecting so, so much, but like, what are we doing with that? Right. And so businesses are now approaching data collection and kind of mimicking that trend towards efficiency that you're talking about. So we had a customer who's frankly, like pretty data mature enterprise customer come to us recently and said, Hey, can you help us audit our, our workspace? We're like, cool. Absolutely. And we uncovered that they were tracking hundreds of repeat events and sending data to multiple redundant destinations. And so just by making two very simple changes in the workspace, the customer saved 1.6 billion API calls per month. So that's obviously saving them a ton of time. It's saving them a ton of money. And it's really just echoing your sentiment of like every single thing that we're doing needs to be pointed at these North Stars, that growth at all costs is over, and that businesses are really prioritizing business outcomes. So beyond just kind of like this economic environment, which of course is going to be challenging for us to make sure we're laser focused, what are some of the biggest challenges related to customer engagement that you're facing at Box right now? Oh, there's so many. I think the biggest one is really unifying that customer experience across all the interaction points, right? There are so many sources and you were talking about it, like the, the amount of data collected is just exponential, right? And it can be overwhelming of how, what do you do with all of this? Where do you prioritize? How do you bring it all together? And then quite frankly, if you're collecting it, are you going to do anything about it, right? Is it, is it actionable? And so I think what, what's really interesting and, and what we have to talk about is like every interaction is a brand moment that you can basically, you know, delight a customer as part of that. And if you start to think about now, we've got website, in-product, social, sales tools, like outreach, sales loft, marketing automation. Again, there's so many ways that you're engaging with, you know, we use Drift, like there, there's so many ways. And then you've got the human connection, right? CSMs and sales reps and Salesforce and like... All of these. The list goes on. Yeah, they keep going. And you're like, how do you unify that? So you don't look like you're not shipping your work chart where it's like, oh, the, you know, the community team has no idea anything that's going on in the account from that perspective. There's like so many examples of that. So 
part of, I mean, we're, we're excited around the journey we're on, obviously with you guys and leveraging CDB and really segment to help us start to unify that. So, you know, ways that we didn't necessarily have all that data tied together before, like a big unlock for us is product usage data. Right. And as we look at all the interactions, as we have a we have a platform and we've got lots of you know products and capabilities, right? When you come to our website, if you're using one of our newest newest products called Box Sign, I don't want to necessarily send you down that journey. I actually want to send you on something else you're not using so you can get educated around that. Or if you're an existing customer, I don't want to send you to the pricing page, you know, as part of that. So there, there's all sorts of things we're trying to figure out is. There's tons of signals and data that we've got around customers. We have to bring that all together and start unifying that and thinking about the journey that we can orchestrate, but it's incredibly hard. Like that's the piece we've been talking about this for a very long time, but I think now the tools are allowing us to get to that point. And then, then you throw AI into the mix and what's the implications <laughs> of that. And, you know, it, it's exciting, but um, can be a bit mind blowing as well. Imagine segment plus chat GPT personalizing all of your experiences with data at scale. I don't know. Could be interesting. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've had some of those conversations internally too. <laughs> yeah, of course. Everybody's like, and AI, now what? Yeah, um, totally. Awesome. Well, it's so great to hear that, you know, segments helping you solve one of those biggest challenges. Obviously, we hear that all the time. Data silos with so many different applications and you know different platforms that you're trying to get information from, marketing automation, mobile apps, you, you named a ton, the list always goes on. Getting good data is really, really hard. And those data silos create a ton of issues across organizations. If people are working off of different sets, that's probably going to lead to different decisions. And what we were talking about earlier with business outcomes and being laser focused, that's not the best for the organization. And so and it's really expensive too, you know, making yeah. a lot of those decisions and making the wrong decisions on that bad data. If you were to define, I know the show is named, of course, Good Data, Better Marketing. If you were to define the term good data, how would you do that, Chris? Yeah, I think I think that in a, in a couple of ways. I think it has to be clean, it has to be comprehensive, it has to be timely, and it has to be actionable. And I think the, the, the most important piece is the actionable component. And we have an incredible analytics team that we partner with, where I've seen over my, over my you know, years, tons of analytics done on data with no sort of actionable way to leverage that to change outcomes. And so I think that's the part that, you know, more and more, you know, both analytics uh, people and marketers are thinking about, great, we've now, we've got the insights. This is, you know, it's real time in many cases. And now what do I go do with it? And so that's so what, how do we change it? And is, I think, critically important for sure. I love that. Yeah, of course, as a marketer, I'm like real time, you're right, being able to actually activate and, and capitalize on that intent in the moment as it happens, of course, is like, you know, the thing that we're all looking to do. I like that you said comprehensive. Comprehension, comprehensiveness <laughs> as well, because it speaks to your point of breaking down data silos, right? It's it's making sure that you're getting insights from everywhere and unifying them all into profiles. Yeah, I mean, everyone has made an assumption based on some sort of data that was incomplete. And it's like, oh, great, This the, the data suggests X, right? And then reality, you start to later on, you bring something else, you're like, oh, we didn't realize that there was something else that actually was interfering with the decision we made. So unless it's comprehensive, 
you could make really bad decisions on data that you think is uh, correct and uh, can be very costly. hundred percent. So what are some examples? You know, we have the definition. I think you said clean, comprehensive, timely, actionable. That's good data. How are you using good data in your organization? What are the, the tactics or programs that you would want to highlight? Oh my gosh, we have we have so many. We've we've really transformed to be a super data driven sort of test and learn organization. Where do I start? I mean, again, every every campaign that we run, we are we are sort of maniacally focused on what's the return on investment? Is it driving the right behaviors? So every digital program we've got, every in-person event that we run, you know, looking at the metrics, and it's not always about pipeline. Um, it could be about, you know, the amount of revenue in the room from existing customers can we change the trajectory around a churn event all of those things and we have a we have a unique go-to-market model because we have everything from freemium to an e-commerce offering to smb main market and enterprise so we have to think about that entire you know entire gamut of all types of customers and so you can imagine lots of work on the website you know how do you optimize journeys of an e-commerce customer versus an enterprise customer uh, because they're very different buyer journeys, customer journeys, all of that. So there's a lot around that. We are doing more and more, and I talked a little bit about product awareness. So partnering with the product team and the CS team, you know, how do we how do we fuel in-product experiences with content, with segmentation, with messaging, so that we understand and, and can take them on a product journey to try new capabilities and new features that we've rolled out. There's a lot we've done on driving retention plays, discounting on different plan types, testing monthly versus annual, customer feedback. Like, again, we are, there's so many different examples that it's just like, we have to be data-driven in everything that we do. I'm really loving what you're kind of surfacing here, though, about kind of like the typical, like revenue marketing. We talked about it, like MQLs, QOs, pipeline, table stakes, but especially with the macro environment right now, expanding those goals out into product adoption and awareness. I'm sure your product marketing team is also like, yes, this is awesome. We have a lot of measurable things now. Like this is incredibly valuable. And I'm also sure that there's probably some of those like features that are indicators of stickiness and retention that you're really trying to drive a lot of your users towards and trying to get your customers to adopt. I've done that before at my last company. I was doing customer education as well. And one of the things we were measuring is the adoption pre-education class and post-education class of specific, you know, different parts of the product and different features. And this is, oh, this is a very small world moment. And I just put this together earlier today is the guy on my team that was running that, his name is Mark Jones. He was a box employee and he learned everything that he knows about customer education and driving adoption from your team. So shout out to Mark Jones and shout out to, shout out to the box team for building a world-class program about scaled tactics for education and driving adoption. I know you're leaning into it now, but he was there in like 2016, 2015, maybe. Yeah, so I mean, again, I think it's fun. been an ongoing sort of effort across the board and, and a testament to the great partnership we have with our analytics team of driving this across all parts of the customer lifecycle. And, and you're right. Like, I think there's, you know, massive opportunity and especially in an environment where it's going to be harder to get new customers, you know, focus on existing customers and clearly understanding what are the things, what are the specific actions or products or capabilities that they use that drive stickiness and retention. And then focused on helping the user along that journey 
take those actions. And, and we work. So, I mean, we, we know very specifically the lift, if we can get a user in the first four weeks in the first eight weeks to habitually start using box, we know that their lifetime you know, value of that individual user is much higher than if we don't get them using in the first, you know, four to eight weeks. And, yes. and so again, like all of those examples were super data-driven. And so we, we basically have programs across marketing, our CS, our sales organization, our product, you know, together to figure out how do we unify that. So, so smart. And, and one of the things too, that I think is pretty unique about the way that you all go to market is that, you know, you're talking a lot about PLG. You also have a pretty robust enterprise sales motion. And those those two things, I think a lot of people are like, oh, how do they work together? If you're doing it right, I think that they can work really well together. But how do you think about kind of creating a lot of those different paths to drive revenue in those different segments? How do those two things work together with PLG and enterprise sales? Yeah, I mean, I think it is, um, you know, having a shared common goal, thinking about the broader business than your specific segment, right? So I, I own the freemium and, and the e-commerce component. And then my partner, you know, Mark Whalen, the CRO, he owns enterprise. But we, and we, we think about this, how do we grow the business, you know, sort of holistically together? And our sort of, you know, we're an enterprise company. But we have a freemium and an e-commerce offering to really almost like it's an entrenchment strategy of getting customers to start using Box. And there's a network effect as they start using it, they share files and and collaborate with, you know, either other vendors they're working with and, and other companies, their agencies. And so there's that network effect around that. We don't have a freemium offer just because we want millions of users to then go from a freemium account to paying us $10 a month. We actually want them to, you know, and have thousands of freemium accounts in any given enterprise and then go work with the enterprise and say, hey, you have a thousand free users using Box. You know, can we do a, you know, an, an ELA or something like that with you to bring all that in the fold, make you much more secure, have more control of your IP and your content, your most valuable assets as part of that. And then the same thing for e-commerce. Like it may start out as a department and, you know, a, a team of five starts to use Box and they're collaborating. And then they send it to another group saying, hey, you should work through. And we see like seats grow and grow and grow. And we don't have channel conflict, right? We partner with our SMB team and we say, hey, this is a, you know, a customer that keep adding seats. It's probably worth having a rep reach out and say, hey, you know, would you want to do a little bit more from a volume discounting perspective, you know, add this to more, more groups. So we have it sort of all in harmony where the teams are working together. And ultimately, you know, we, we all think about, about this as what's best for Box versus what's best for my segment. And that kind of starts at the top. That's how we think about it. I love that. That's always a good thing to point to towards is like, you know, we're all one company. We're all working towards the same goals. I know each individual group is going to have their goals and sometimes that creates tension. But at the end of the day, Revenue is revenue, right? And that's kind of the end of the game. I always think about that as kind of like the way that Slack grew, right? Like getting a million people to adopt it and then going back into corporate and saying like, let me bundle that sale for you. That's really cool. Freemium is an undeniable strategy if you have the ability to do it right. Is there anything specifically that you've done to reduce friction to make sure that that freemium experience and those upsells and cross-sells are working well? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think there's a, I mean, we're, it's one of our core values of how do we make the, the customer experience easier to engage with us. One thing we just rolled out is Google login, 
right, forever. And, and we had to work through and make sure that uh, we get it right. But, you know, it's much easier for you. You've already got your credentials. You're man- managing your password through Google, you know, quickly log in. And, and a lot of B2C companies are doing that. But, you know, it was, it was definitely something has made it super easy. And the lift is, is pretty significant. We're always thinking about the buying experience and, you know, how do we basically enable our customers to either buy more seats, upgrade plans, other things in the seamless way. So we do that, you know, we think about what's the user flow, the, the buyer journey. How do we make that where if they don't want to necessarily interact with a sales rep, we want to give them that option to be able to, you know, to buy more from us versus that barrier always that says, nope, you've reached your limit, go talk to someone. But also at the same time, if they do want to talk to someone, we want to make that as easy as possible. So we have tools, you know, where we've had examples, you know, we even use Drift where you can quickly click, you know, talk to someone, chat with someone, get on the phone and, and do a sale that way. And then in other cases, we've streamlined where we've built a tool, what we call our rep assisted buy, where we basically allow sales reps to use this in an automated fashion so that they can get deals done faster. If it's just, hey, I want to add 10 seats on to my existing contract. Okay, well, I don't want to go through legal and all that. Like, let's quickly, you know, get you additional seats as part of that. So all of those things we think about what's best for the customer, how do we make that as seamless as possible? And it's just one of our core guiding principles. Very cool. Path to revenue, making it as easy as possible, channel of choice, wherever the customer wants to be and where they want to buy, you got to be there. You're talking so much about data-driven tra- tactics. I'm sure that throughout your career, you've found you know something that was surprising to you is there any like anecdote or insight where the data that you were looking at was surprising to you i mean we have we have like internal bets all the time we have these sort of scrum sessions uh, especially on our e-commerce side where the team will say hey i want to test these three different experiences you know and 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 oftentimes aaron our, our ceo and founder together we're like debating about no, I think this one's going to win. No, this one's going to win. And it's funny now, there's there's been examples where we're like, we really hope this one doesn't win because we hate the user experience around it. But there've been examples where it's like, oh, actually, that is the, the preferred choice for customers around how we work through that. But I think one of the biggest surprises for us and, and one of the big successes um, simplifying our pricing options. We did some work around bundling and, and really looking at the mix of our plans and making sure that we are adding incremental value across the different plans and finding ways for customers that would want to upgrade your plan. And, and it was probably more cost effective for them than to buy all these products individually. So I think probably bundling optimization for us and simplifying our pricing motion was probably the biggest surprise. We didn't understand how complex customers felt it was before. And it's been a hugely successful rollout over the last probably year to 18 months. Pricing is a great place to think about reducing friction too. Yeah, if anybody scratch, if a customer is scratching their head about your pricing model, then like there's probably an opportunity for you to simplify. I love, you know, throughout the conversation, you've really been highlighting kind of that test and learn mentality. And it's it's definitely, of course, something we just need to continue to remind ourselves, especially as we are entering this new era with tighter budgets. So speaking of the new era, on the horizon, customer engagement, what do you see for the next six to 12 months? Any predictions or changes you see on the horizon? I think a couple of things. And, and I mentioned before, first party data is going to be in systems going to be critically important, right? Those that have not 
invested in and implemented a CDP, like are going to be behind, quite frankly. I think you're going to see customers, those that that thrive in this environment are the ones that are going to feed off their existing customers with upsells, cross-sells. I just think it's going to be incredibly hard. There's not a lot of uh, boardrooms and IT leaders, you know, and others right now saying, okay, let's go invest in more software, you know, as part of that. So I think, you know, for any new projects are going to be difficult. So making sure your existing customers are super happy, they're getting value, they, they see you as mission critical to their business as a brand, I think is, is absolutely necessary. I think it'll be an interesting balance as we we figure out this, and we talked about it before, the in-person versus digital. What's that balance look like? Marketers are going to have to prove ROI on everything that they do. And if there's something that that in-person experience that may or may not, they may not be able to justify, it's going to be hard for them to, you know, to basically invest in those things. So I think those are some of the big things we've kind of hit on it, but you know, right now, it's very unclear what's going to happen in the world. And I think we have to we have to be very agile as marketers. It reminds me of the age-old, you know, CAC to LTV ratio is it feels like it's fully in play now. You know, everything that you're totally. describing is is really making sure that we're enhancing that ratio. I got two more questions for you, Chris, before we okay. let you go. And that's who do you think is doing it right? Is there anybody that you look to for their customer engagement strategies or tactics? I mean, it's so easy to like to focus on some of the B2C, you know, companies and, and, and that perspective. But from a B2B, we have a peer set of, of companies that, you know, you had mentioned one, like how did Slack, in, you know, drive engagement and, and how did they drive product-led growth around product usage, which was always something that, that we looked at. We look at Atlassian, we look at Adobe, you know, as, as experiences, both from an e-commerce perspective, but Everyone's struggling, I think, to the same degree of engagement with their customers. So there's no one that's like, oh my gosh, they're world class at this. I think uh, we all have a long way to go to continue to improve the customer experience. A hundred percent. And B2B is even more complicated with like ABM versus, you know, user journeys for individual, you know, folks within your platform, you know, tons of different ways to take the approach. Last question, Chris, if you had a piece of advice for somebody trying to up-level their customer engagement strategy, what would it be? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed with where to start. So I think start small, iterate. Like I've been talking about, build a test and learn culture, right? Fail fast. That's one of the things I say with the team. They're often like, well, the data doesn't suggest. I'm like, if it's not working, move on, go to the next thing. So I think fail fast, but think big is how I would, I would sort of tee up, but start small. And iterate. I love that wisdom. Fail fast, think big. It's those small incremental steps in progress that gets you there every single day. Chris, thank you so much for being here. I had a ton of fun. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Twilio Segment. In today's digital first economy, being data driven is no longer aspirational it's necessary. Segment's leading customer data platform empowers every team with good data. From marketing and product to engineering and analytics, Segment unifies data silos into a single view of the customer. It allows teams to make data-driven decisions and personalize customer engagement in real time, all with one single platform to collect and manage your data. Curious to find out why over 20,000 businesses trust Segment to be their data foundation? You can learn more by visiting segment.com.